This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, Rob Fay Nation can't slow down. It's gonna go. What is going on? I'm Rob Fay. Welcome to your Monday edition of Sports Bar Radio. It is the 20th day of September. Yes, summer is almost officially over. I think I called it officially which is, I think, the right way to say that. Anyways, we got a lot to get to today. Uh, we're going to talk about the NFL. The Monday Nighter tonight sees the Lions getting ready to take on the Packers. Will Aaron Rodgers rebound despite not having the worst game of his career, but a lot of people questioning where his head's at. We will talk about Blue Jays. We're talking about the Mariners. We're talking about the Major League Baseball wildcard races, which in both sides, National League and American League, are phenomenal to watch right now. They will come right down to the wire and much more. Let me get you to that one story of that one train of thought that rises above everything else like a young macho man randy savage used to say the cream will always rise to the top and uh had a lot of time to think this weekend about the thoughts that i will give to you on the other side let me get you to the lead We've scoured the globe for the stories that matter to you. Okay, well, let's be honest, Rob picks most of the stories, so maybe they matter more to him? Anyways, pull up a chair and let our bartender pour you a cold one because there's a lot going on in your world today. Okay, so before I start, I want to say thank you to Steve Ewan from the Vancouver province. This is a guy that I've known for 20 years and he has never, ever stepped away. He's always been around if I've ever needed anything. Considering everything that he has been through over the years, the fact that I still get to lean on him is um, is really impressive and speaks to who he is as a person. And recently, he was able to follow up on a story idea that he had, which was Nation Extreme Wrestling. He came out to Richmond, watched our 2 o'clock show, looked at me, said, what do you think? I was running around, my head cut off, and wouldn't you know it, a couple of days later, there it is in the Vancouver province, page 66, a story on my endeavors here with Chris Perry. So, again, before I even get into this, thank you, Steve Ewan. You have never, ever let me down. I want to get into the parallels because the Vancouver Canadian season just ended yesterday. Imagine that, almost 120 baseball games, all of them on the road, and they finally get to come home to Nat Bailey Stadium and get ready for the 2022 season, which starts in just a couple of moments' time now that they're long season. They're going to be starting up in April or uh, early May. So anyways, I think back to all of my time reminiscing in baseball and just mind going crazy left, right, and center here in wrestling. There are so many parallels between independent wrestling and minor league baseball. Let me explain. So, obviously in baseball, you get drafted and your goal is to somehow work your way through the minor league system and make your way towards the bright lights of the major leagues. Well, as you would know, independent wrestling has a bunch of men and women that are all trying to do the exact same thing. Work their way in different circuits, uh, wrestle as much as they can, hopefully get seen, maybe they get identified, and the next thing you know, maybe they're wrestling for AEW or Impact or WWE. It's the same thought process. But independent wrestlers and minor league baseball players travel many more roads than just the obvious one, which is towards the bright lights of the highest stage. They go from city to city. Sometimes you play in front of a big crowd, sometimes you don't, but you are in it because you love the game, and damn it, you've got that dream. It has been so amazing to me that I have followed this for 14 years in minor league baseball 
flip the page to a completely different career path, and wouldn't you know it, it's the same thing. But the beauty for me comes in the fact that I've been through this now. So this isn't new to me. When a wrestler comes up to me and says, hey, you know, can I have a copy of that, that broadcast so that I can send it out to a couple of different people? Absolutely you can. When we bring food after the match and everybody seems to get a little excited because somebody's actually treating them good on that front, that's just what you do when you're in baseball and the same thing translates to wrestling. But here are the things that I've enjoyed the most. And to be honest with you, I'm going to say this with a grain of salt because baseball will always be my favorite sport, my favorite passion. But wrestling, as far as just a business, has so many things that you really appreciate. The fact is, these wrestlers like just getting booked. I had more wrestlers come up to me before we even did our first show and thanked me just for putting them on the card. I needed them. And yet they were the ones that came to me and said thank you because they needed the booking. They wanted the booking. They wanted to wrestle. They didn't even know that there was going to be a sellout crowd. They didn't know that there was going to be seven or eight cameras. They were just happy that they got to put on their gear, go into the ring, set up a match, and then execute it accordingly. And it was awesome to watch. And then you start to get to know them behind the scenes. And then you realize, for example, the Voros twins, uh, their father passed away just a month or two ago. And yet here they are every time they step into the forefront, be it on social media or, dare we say, a wrestling match. And they're all smiles, high fives, and just trying to bring happiness to everybody else. And I was watching them wrestle the other day, not once but twice in two different matches on the same day. And both times you would have never known that in the background, beyond the conversations that they had with the many fans, was probably a little bit of pain as they realized that their family is one person lighter. I then also realized that the veterans that have been around are a little scarred, a little jaded from the highs and lows of several years going from circuit to circuit. A lot of promises get made. And it kind of reminded me of baseball on that front as well. You'll have a lot of people that come up to you and say, you know, if you do business with me, I'll get you to the promised land. Doesn't always go that way. And in wrestling, much the same. I remember when I first went to a, a place called the Lionsgate Dojo. It's a little training facility out in Wally, and I, I don't say little with any disrespect, but it is a place where you can just squeeze in two rings and try to hone your craft. And I remember sitting down and talking, and I'm going to use their stage names here with Nicole Matthews and Tony Baroni, Billy Swade, and Artemis Spencer, and telling them what the vision was for myself and Chris Perry, that we wanted to create a wrestling brand, and we wanted to do something that might be off the beaten path but we had a unique background and we wanted to see if it applied in their industry and they were all smiles that oh absolutely sounds great but I can only imagine what the conversations would have been after we had left knowing that so many times so many people had probably stood in front of them with the same song and dance and tried to essentially tell them that they were the ones that had the key to unlock success I will tell you this one of the most proud moments that I have experienced in any facet of work that I've ever done is following through on that promise a couple of Saturdays ago. Being able to see everything, the hard work, all of the graphics that were built, the music that had to be struck, the everything, coming together and delivering on that promise was something I don't think I will ever forget. Because at the end of it, the same wrestlers that came to thank me before the match came right around at the end of the match and did the exact same thing. And I'll never forget one of those wrestlers, Tony Baroni, came up to me and he said afterwards, he says, I believe you now. And I didn't take that with any disrespect. It was just one of those things that had to be earned. You had to show them that you were real because it's easy to sit there 
and have all these delusions of grandeur where you're kind of like, you know, oh, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But this costs money and that costs money as well. And so you sit back and you say to yourself, you know, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. We just want to do the fundamentals well and eventually we'll grow. Eventually we'll be able to do more. Maybe we'll be able to go on the road to the island, to the interior, do we say out of the province and really start to build this brand. But for what it is right now, it's pretty special. We've had people that want to invest. They saw what we're doing and they've gone up to Chris Perry. They've come to me and they've said, you know what? We're willing to put in some money. We want a little equity. We want some grease in the game, some skin in the game. But uh, we've declined on all fronts so far because we want to sharpen our blades first. We want to make sure that we can make this viable. We want to make sure that this isn't just a quick splash, get in, get out. You know, there's a phrase that they use in the wrestling industry called money mark. And mark is an alias for fan. And if you're the guy that just happens to have money and wants to put your money where your mouth is, well, guess what? You're a money mark. You're the guy that probably is going to burn through those funds and never really accomplish your goal. But every once in a while, you get a guy that understands the business side. And he happens to partner up with a guy that knows the communications and the media side and all the other facets that go into putting on a show. When I met Chris Perry, who is the, uh, full disclosure, he's the guy that finances this show that you're listening to as well, he was a blogger following the Vancouver Canadians. And I had just started as their communications director, sprinkling in a couple of broadcasts along the way. I used to try and prevent him from doing certain stories on the Vancouver Canadians. It wasn't easy. And back then, bloggers weren't what they are today. So there was a bit of a disconnect there on that front as well. But wouldn't you know it, after all these years, when I left the Vancouver Canadians and when TSN 1040 blew up in my hand, Chris Perry was one of the first people that reached out. And he didn't just reach out with the obligatory, hey man, sorry to hear it if there's anything I can do. He was, hey man, sorry to hear it. And I've got a couple of things that you could do if you're interested. There's a lot to be said for giving somebody dignity in the face of adversity. And Chris Perry not only gave me the opportunity to do this show, but he also, a couple of weeks into doing this show, pulled me aside and said, you like wrestling, don't you? And I think if you know me, that's a pretty self-explanatory answer. But when we started this endeavor, the whole way about it was something completely different. We wanted to essentially pair up with a company that did a little bit of filming and make a documentary. Because both of us realized that the Pacific Northwest, geography-wise, had so many good independent wrestlers, but yet they could never get the exposure that they needed to be able to compete with the guys on the East Coast or down in Florida or down in Louisiana, wherever some of the bigger wrestling entities are. We thought that that would be a good story to tell. But one of the first problems that we encountered is, cool, we can sit down and interview these guys and, you know, all the stuff that comes with that, but we don't have any footage. We don't have anything behind the story. <laughs> that was a real epiphany moment. Like, if you've ever gotten into a business, for example, a restaurant, you buy the restaurant, they give you the keys, you're on the hook for the money, but damn it, you got a restaurant, and then you realize, oh, we probably need a chef, and oh, we probably need this, 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 and this. It catches up with you really, really quickly. So once we got going... And we realized that we had these stories and we had these wrestlers that were going to buy into this vision. And boy, there was a lot of trust involved. There was so much trust in the unknown. But, you know, it was amazing that wrestlers were just willing to throw caution to the wind because they were still looking for the same thing, that opportunity and that exposure. So 
without being too long-winded here, I'm sorry, you're probably getting ready for Yankees Blue Jays talk, but let me just finish up on this one because I think it is an interesting story for some people out there, maybe in my age range, I'm in my mid-40s, who are debating whether or not they should, quote, go for it. And I'm not going to make this emotional, and I'm not going to make this a, a big pep talk. I'm just going to tell you the experience. But once you get started, you have to be willing to let that wave take you wherever it's going to take you. If I would have stayed true to what the initial plan was, I would have missed out on probably four or five other really intriguing and amazing opportunities. If we had just done the basics, which is essentially try to find a way to put on a six to eight show miniseries, we probably could have got there. But all of a sudden, when we realize, well, we're going to have to host some matches, we're going to have to have some events because we need that B-roll. We can't go to these other promotions and ask them for it because many of them don't do it. And those who do, eh, they do an okay job, but it wasn't really the direction that we wanted to go. So we figured we would do it ourselves. So here I am now trying to build a show that would lead to probably a second show, and that's it. We wanted to get in, get our footage, and get on. But when you started to realize these wrestlers are people and they're looking for a leader and they're looking for a place to work that they can be proud of, you were building this thing and all of a sudden you were listening to them and they were teaching you about how this industry worked. They were telling you where the pitfalls were. And the next thing you know, you were buying into them as much as they were trusting you. So it got to the point where I remember this call vividly. I said, Chris, you know this is no longer a project. This is no longer us looking to do a documentary. This is essentially a promotion. And I think Chris knew that before I had known that because I had my head in the sand working in eight different directions trying to put together these shows. And he said, yeah, isn't it cool? And I said, at first I was like, well, this isn't really what I signed up for. I thought we were just going to do a documentary. I mean, this is hard work. This is heavy sledding. And he goes, but we're doing wrestling. And it's amazing when somebody can just come up to you and say something in its simplest terms, when they can just come up to you and be like, listen, man, we could be sitting here pushing pencils, doing nine to five stuff on Excel spreadsheets and, you know, just doing something that we hate, punching clocks, just trying to get from A to B, but we get to do wrestling. It was a stark reminder of how lucky I've been over the last 20 years, because for the previous 15, before you and I have had this conversation today, I was either on sports radio or doing professional baseball, where my job was to essentially sit down, after a hard day's work, I might add, but sit down and tell you what was going on at a baseball game. Well, in between innings, I would eat a hot dog or have a sip of a pop or something along those lines. It's a sunset beyond the outfield wall. Not a lot of people get that opportunity, and I was very aware of that during my time in baseball. Like I knew that there was one affiliated minor league job in Canada, and I had it. And I had it as long as I wanted it. So to imagine that lightning can some weird way strike twice, that I can all of a sudden sit down at a desk and begin to map out a show that has my name on it, Nation, as in Rob Faye Nation, Nation Extreme Wrestling, and people will pay to come and see it. $40. People will open up their wallets and give their hard-earned money so that I can pay these wrestlers and they can put on a show. I haven't made a penny from it. It seems to be an ongoing thing with me. The TSN 1040 stuff didn't get a chance to make a lot of money on that. The wrestling, I know good things will come to those who put in the work and eventually we'll get there. But, man, I just sit back and I say to myself, how lucky am I that I have a collection of wrestlers that look at me, a collection of staff that look at me and they say, 
what do you want to do next? And I get to help in that decision-making process. But more than anything, I help these guys get opportunities. I give them the exposure. I give them their forums so that they can work and fine-tune their craft. It's a win-win. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing that if you take the time to pull on all your skills from all of the different things in your life. Like, for example, not everybody has my background, but a lot of my stuff doesn't include guys that have worked at the mill or, you know, at the quarry or wherever you find yourself. Maybe it's at the hospital. Who knows? But you will use your skills. You'll use all of them. Like, I use stuff from early on. I was never good as a salesman. It was just my thing. Somebody gave me a, a no, and I was out the door. Apparently in sales, you're supposed to take three no's to get to a yes or three no's before you finally turn your back and, and walk your way out the door. Oh, I was so bad at it. But you know what the difference is? I can walk out the front door now and I can sell because it's something that I believe in. And I know I believe in it because I'm the guy that's putting it together. And that's kind of cool. Like that's really cool when I think about it. He said, I take all of these skills. Some are sharpened more than others. Be it baseball, be it bartending, be it barbering. I uh, worked as a telemarketer at some point. All of that stuff comes into play now. And I didn't need a lot of money to get it started. This is a startup where there wasn't a lot of equity put into this. But there was a recipe and there was a vision. And there was an openness to letting that wave take you where it was going to take you. When I had my restaurant back in 2014, 2015, I didn't get that. I didn't understand. I thought that it had to be exactly the way that it was, had to be this certain way, and when it went sideways, I didn't know what was going on, and man, was I on the hook for some money after that. Like, I am still, to this conversation, paying for the mistakes that I made in that restaurant. Not everybody gets back to the line of scrimmage, and man, I sure didn't. It was a great experience. I look at my wife, who's still with me, knock on wood, and I tell her, I said, you know what, that was the most... Uh, I guess you would almost call it a crash course in learning the rights from wrongs in the service industry. And it's funny because I had worked in, in you know, all of that for so many years as a bartender. I had worked as a manager. It wasn't the same. And you know why it wasn't the same? Because not everybody is going to paddle as hard as you do when you're the owner. And I realized in real time that if you are the owner of a restaurant and you can't cook what's on your menu, you are at the mercy you are completely at the mercy of your cook in your kitchen. Hard lesson to learn, but I did. But then, fast forward, what, six, seven years, and here I am again, at the helm as a co-founder of a business. And yes, without the wrestlers, I'm not going to suit up, I'm not going to get in there. But the difference is I understand what it takes to keep people happy, what it takes to inspire people to make sure that they know that I have their best interest, to deal with all this stuff that's on the peripheral, and yet still keep focused and still ride that wave. So I guess the reason I tell you this isn't just to say that I'm having a great time with this wrestling, but it's just to let you know it doesn't matter your age, it doesn't matter how deep your pockets are, you can do something extraordinary with a vision and an openness and a willing to communicate with others. The one thing that I'm still battling with to this conversation is the fact that I have a lot of people that come out of the woodwork with ideas. They want to be a part of it. They see something cool. They think there's something for them. They think if they pitch the right idea that they've got to be a part of the plan. You have to learn in this business how to say no. Not no forever, but just not right now. And they'll get it. But I've had more wrestlers reach out to me than I ever thought we would have after our first show. 
people from places that I didn't even think knew our area code. But your support has been big. Chris Perry's support has been paramount. Equity Guru's been so great to me. Jay Swing, who is the DJ at my events. I mean, it is all my usual suspects hanging around. And uh, it has made me realize that wrestling is no longer um, something that I want to put on the back burner and, and cohabitate with the other stuff that I do. Like, for example, we have the Nation Show that's supposed to be coming up in the next couple of weeks. I mean, the Canucks are at training camp. You would think that we're a little further down the road on that front. I can't see it happening at this point. I hope that my sponsors see what I'm doing here and see the value that comes in that. And if they don't, I respect that. But I just... And, and you know what? It has nothing to do with Hubcast, the company that was housing me. It's just... Canuck fans aren't stupid. And if you can't put your heart and soul into covering this team with the quality journalists that are out there, then you probably shouldn't do it. You don't do it just to do it. You do it because you can do it well, or you aspire to do it well. I did it last year because when I left TSN 1040, or part of me when they asked me to leave, I wanted to do something. And I was familiar with the Canucks, and it was right there, and there was a void, and it was a need, and it, it was fulfilled. But... A lot of time this summer, I've been kind of looking around saying, do I want to do this? I mean, sure, I love talking hockey, but would I be able to do it well? I don't think so. Or at least not up to my standard. And my standard, I think, is important because if you know that my heart's not in it or I'm rushing from A to B, it's not going to be good. And I just don't think it's worth the viewer or the listener's time. I'll, I'll tell you a story real quick before I get on to other things. When I was working at Nat Bailey Stadium with the Vancouver Canadians, my biggest regret is I never at Nat Bailey Stadium really had the time to enjoy my broadcasts. Like, realistically, yeah, I got to call championship games and I got to do all the kinds of things that are there that people would probably love to do. But I was so busy during the day. Then I would have an hour pregame show, which eventually became half an hour, but it still bookended right up to the game. So imagine this, doing an hour-long show talking to players to managers to other teams you know maybe there's a special guest that comes through like a dusty baker or a tony tarasco and then at like 6:55, all of a sudden running upstairs sitting down at seven o'clock and starting your broadcast which went on three and a half four hours and it was me by myself i really regret that i never had more time just to kind of just to kind of prepare and give it my all. Like, I look back now at these bloggers who just ripped me relentlessly. Oh, they, they they were like, this guy's off topic. This guy doesn't know what's going on. Screw this guy. I mean, it was even worse than that. And they were right. Like, I can't even say that they were wrong. But sometimes when I was going off script, it was because I was just unprepared. Because I didn't have notes or information or things that were going to get me from A to B. So I would just try to be a dude and just try to tell you stories from everyday life while a baseball game was going on. Vin Scully does it well. Me, not so much. But I still think I did a good job with the Vancouver Canadians. I put in more than 1,000 games, be it on the road or at home. Uh, I heard that their new guy is going to be coming back for next season. Brilliant. I hope that they partner him up with somebody of, uh, of Canadian descent. I would hate for both the Toronto Blue Jay job and Vancouver Canadians job to both be owned and operated by American talents. I think there's so much talent here in Canada, so my hope is that if he remains as the lead voice, that they at least give some opportunity 
to some young aspiring Canadian voices so that we can continue to cultivate broadcasters on our side. But again, it's not my decision to make. So where do we go from here? I just hope that you'll come and support my broad, uh, my Nation Extreme Wrestling. I hope that you understand that this is the reason that I went this way is because I love it. And I love being able to lead. And I love when people buy into what I'm doing. And even though I know that my time with the Canucks as far as post-game shows is pretty much done, that uh, I found my niche. I have been lucky enough to go from baseball to wrestling and, dare I say, catch lightning in a bottle for yet a second time, which doesn't happen very often. Very cool. All right, uh, let's take a very quick look into the VIP room because there are some amazing stories out there. Dude, I almost talked for 25 minutes on this. I'm so sorry. I didn't even look up at the clock, and I realized, holy cow, hopefully you're still listening. But let me quickly take you to the other side of the sports bar if you're still listening. Because, yeah, we do have to set you up. we got a Monday nighter tonight. we got to recap everything that happened in the NFL. And damn it, we might even talk a little baseball as well. Let me get you into the VIP room. You knew tonight was going to be a good night, didn't you? Guys, the ladies don't want you wasting their time, so get to the point. Ten topics, ten minutes. Hold on to your drinks because we're about to bring you the entire world of sports before the DJ can pull out the vinyl for his next set. Welcome to the VIP room. All right, let's start with the Monday Nighter. Let's talk a little football here. Packers and Lions, not always a good matchup. But considering that the Green Bay Packers don't believe that they are the team that got absolutely trounced by the Saints in Week 1, we will see how they fare against the Detroit Lions. In Week 1, Rodgers threw two picks, had a touchdown pass, but yet the Packers lost by 35. And a lot of people said that Aaron Rodgers looked disinterested. That is one of the worst things that you can say to any quarterback at any time. Now, the Lions also lost, but they at least made an effort. They fell 41-33 to the San Francisco 49ers in a game that marked Detroit debuts for both Dan Campbell, the head coach of the team, and quarterback Jared Goff. So what are you looking for from this game tonight? Are you looking for high scoring? Well, the Packers didn't show that in week one. This is a Detroit team that is last in the NFL in points allowed per game, yards allowed per game, and yards allowed per play last season. What does Green Bay have to do? They got to get the run going. They had the fewest yards of any rushing team in the NFL last week with just 43 yards and the second fewest carries just 15. The last time these two teams got together, Green Bay trounced the Lions 42-21. Aaron Jones on the ground ran for 168 yards. He also caught four passes for 68 and had three touchdowns. But again, I circle Aaron Rodgers. When the media says he's disinterested, curious to know how he's going to bounce back in week two. Now to Chicago, quarterback Andy Dalton, uh, good news, he does not have a significant knee injury. When he was taken off the field yesterday, it could have been an ACL, could have been an MCL, but a source close to the team saying that he simply has a bone bruise in his knee. Now those aren't enjoyable, but it is definitely not surgery worthy. Despite the injury to Dalton, coach Matt Nagy not confirming who his starting quarterback is going to be, but you can't imagine that it won't be Justin Fields behind center when they get ready to go next week. And I will say this, if Fields does get the ball, I'm not sure you'll ever see it back in Andy Dalton's hands again unless Fields get injured. Rookies don't usually give the ball back. But again, that's just me from a 1,000 feet in the air. 
All right, let's talk some baseball. We are in the home stretch right now. The American League wildcard. We're going to be talking about this one pretty much right until the final day of the season. As you and I have this conversation, it is Boston and Toronto that hold on to those two coveted wildcard spots. The Yankees are a game and a half. Oakland's two back. Seattle is the last of the teams with even a remote possibility. They are four off the pace with, again, two weeks to play. Toronto, well, they're in tough right now. They've got a series that starts up against Tampa Bay, which, again, has 92 wins already. Although they're 4-6 and six in their past 10 losers of two in a row, Toronto's just got to keep doing what they're doing. Boston is red hot, winners of five in a row, but the Blue Jays in their past 10, 7-3. So if they can continue to do what they do, I think the Yankees got to get absolutely scorching, and I'm not sure they've got a tougher schedule, including the series that they're taking on at Yankee Stadium against Texas. Now, in the National League, nothing gets easier for any of those teams that are vying in the wildcard spot on the other side of the ledger. Dodgers and St. Louis, they currently hold on to those two spots. Uh, really, it's St. Louis or Cincinnati or Philadelphia or San Diego. <laughs> it's the best way to describe it. St. Louis, three games better than Cincinnati and Philadelphia, and San Diego, three and a half off the pace as we speak. Only team right now that is making a case that they want to be in the wildcard is St. Louis who currently has that second spot. They've won eight in a row. They are nine and one in their past 10. Everybody behind them, Cincinnati, San Diego, Philadelphia, 500 or less. Uh, San Diego has lost three in a row and fading from that conversation in record time. Well, to the NHL, and you don't hear this all the time, but it's kind of cool when you do hear a young guy who gets it. Artemi Panarin, according to a report, does not want to be named captain of the New York Rangers. He told Hockey in the Know on Instagram, quote, I think we have more deserving candidates for that role right now. Would I want it? I'd rather say no, actually. It's not just putting a letter on the sweater and walking around taking pictures. There's a lot of rough work in the locker room, and it's not just about playing good hockey. You also have to give your energy between the periods, motivate guys, give interviews, be the face of the franchise. Overall, it's a lot of work off the ice. That, to me, is why he probably should be the captain of the New York Rangers because he's got the presence to say that he doesn't want to be the captain of the New York Rangers if it makes any sense. And, and to be perfectly honest with you, there is a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes. Like I think back to Daniel and Henrik, one with the C, one with the A, but they always had to face the media. They always had to be accountable. They were always at these community things, which I think they would have done with a C and A or nothing. But there is a heightened expectation. So, yeah, if Artemi Panarin doesn't want to be captain of the Rangers, just keep the A on him and let him do his thing. But I just love the fact that he actually had the cojones, if you will, to be able to say, yeah, it's just not for me. So, yeah, they'll find their captain eventually. And if it's not Artemi Panarin, I will tip my cap to the big man for uh, basically saying, yeah, it's just not something I want to do. Travis Zajac wanted to retire from the New Jersey Devils, and he got the opportunity today signing a one-day contract saying, quote, I took some time off in the summer, and at this age, he's just 36, it gets harder and harder to stay at the top, be successful, and be competitive. After taking some time off, I really just didn't have that desire to keep training, keep pushing myself. I kind of feel like I ran out a little bit of gas and being around the family a lot was starting to have a really big impact on my life. I liked being home for dinners, being around the kids' sports, involved in schools. That was a lot of fun for me, and I really loved being a part of that. The sacrifices that you have to make to continue to play, I just didn't have that internal push to really keep going. Unquote. Eight goals, 12 assists in 46 games last season, 
after he was traded to the New York Islanders, he scored a couple of goals as well and went on that crazy run with the Islanders in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And if you're a fan of cool things when it comes to broadcasts, you might get your opportunity this year. TNT is going to bring forward drone footage for their coverage of the 2021-2022 season. So in addition to all of those things that are already so amazing in the world of sports when it comes to broadcasting, TNT wants to go one level further and include a drone shot, which is all a new company that wants to get into the game can ask for. They've got my attention. Well, let's touch on the Canadian Football League very quickly right now, and I don't think a lot of people check in on it all the time, but I will let you know in the Eastern Division right now, Hamilton and Toronto tied atop that division, both with six points at 3-3, three and three, and the West is wild right now. But good thing for the BC Lions, they are on the top half of the Wild Wild West. Winnipeg is at 6-1, and one, cream of the crop right now. They have a point differential of plus 75 through their first seven games. Saskatchewan and BC both at 4-2, comfortably in second and third place respectively. The Elks of Edmonton 2-4, the Calgary Stampeders, the mighty Stampeders are 2-5 as we near the midway point of the season. By the way, if you're wondering who plays who, uh, on Wednesday it's going to be Hamilton at Ottawa. Ottawa's 1-4. Montreal and Toronto, that's going to be a good game. And then BC will host Saskatchewan Friday, 7-30, in a battle of those teams that are 4-2. The winner will be in sole possession of second in the West Division. And it came out the other day that Manny Pacquiao is going to try and become the president of the Philippines. He has put his name in. He is going to be going for the presidency of a country that I think is one of the nicest and most beautiful on this planet. And yet, he has not made a formal decision on his future in the ring. Sean Gibbons, the president of Pacquiao's promotional company, telling ESPN on Monday that Pacquiao just wants to continue fighting because he's passionate about the sport. He turns 43 in December, was competing for the first time recently after a victory over Keith Thurman in July of 2019. If you remember that fight against Jordanis Ugas, he lost a unanimous decision in August, but simply says he is not retired. I don't think I've ever seen the president of a country potentially fighting somebody from another country. Wouldn't that be, I don't know, probably not going to happen on either front, but again, you never know. I, I've talked to a number of people that say Pacquiao is a major underdog to become the president of the Philippines, no matter how much press he gets on this side of the water. Fair enough. And I'm sorry I left this one for last, but this is kind of a big story. FIFA and the soccer leaders set to begin talks about holding the World Cup every two years. All 211 member federations have also been invited to online talks on September the 30th as part of a consultation on the future of national team soccer, including a bilennial men's World Cup. Opposition says it simply dilutes the World Cup's appeal, distorting the balance between domestic and international soccer, and I think that actually makes sense on some fronts, and they also are concerned about overloading players in a crowded schedule. FIFA has proposed streamlining their calendar with smaller tournament qualifying groups and potentially playing all matches in a single block in October. Now, the women's calendar expires in 2023 when their next World Cup will be hosted by Australia and New Zealand. Women's soccer could be crowded out by clashes by having more men's World Cups. This coming from the German Soccer Federation last week. FIFA's proposed changes could be approved or denied by as early as December. All right, let's put a wrap on today's Sports Bar Radio. I want to thank everybody with Equity Guru. My thanks to Chris Perry, Galen, Hassan, 
uh, JP Chung and the irreplaceable Priscilla Choi. And my thanks to Jay Swing, producer extraordinaire, brother from another mother. Can't wait to do this again with you tomorrow. Thank you for stopping by today. This has been Sports Bar Radio, presented to you as always by Equity Guru. I will see you a couple of hours from now. Sports Bar Radio was brought to you by Equity Guru, investment information for the new generation. Visit us at equity.guru and let's make some money together. Please note, any mention of companies on this podcast is part of a promotional campaign, and the information you hear should be a part of extensive due diligence. As well, always get advice from an accredited financial advisor before you make any investment decision. Protect yourself.